sin doesn't fit the life of the believer. If you agree with that, say amen. We should do everything within our power not to sin. And when we do sin, we should be quick to confess our sin. We should be quick to repent of that sin and to turn away from it. And we should be quick to receive God's forgiveness. It doesn't bring God any glory when once we have been forgiven of our sins, if we continue to go around and beat ourselves up over something that he has forgiven us of. And many times we do that. Sometimes there's a sin way back in our past, and we've confessed that, we've been forgiven of that, and yet the old devil makes us feel guilty over that sin or those sins that God has already forgiven us of. Remember, Any guilt that you ever experience over forgiven sins is false guilt. That is not of God. That is not the conviction of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit convicts us to bring us to a place of repentance. But after we have repented and been forgiven of our sins, he's not going to convict us or condemn us for that sin. That is over and done with. Or maybe it's a sin more recently that we've committed. And we think, well, this one's not 20 years ago. This one's three days ago. And we confessed it. We've repented of. Well, we should receive God's forgiveness. But nonetheless, the point I'm trying to make is that sin doesn't fit the life of the believer. Now, it would be interesting tonight if I could get in your mind as to what you're thinking when I said sin doesn't fit the life of the believer. Perhaps you're thinking about sins of immorality, or maybe you're thinking about sins of dishonesty, or maybe you're thinking about sins of violence or corruption, and none of that fits our lives. But I want to mention three sins tonight that I'm calling them deadly sins. And the reason I'm calling them deadly is they're not quite as obvious as these other big, what we would call big sins, immorality. But these sins are just as big, just as bad, and just as dangerous. So I want us to begin by thinking about these three sins. The first sin is jealousy. Now, that doesn't fit the life of the believer. Someone has said that jealousy is a a green-eyed monster. What is jealousy? Jealousy, very simply, is when we want what someone else has. Could be a house, could be a car, could be a job, could be a reputation, could be a lot of things. But jealousy is when we want what someone else had. It is a deadly sin. The second deadly sin we're thinking about tonight is the sin of pride. Now, what is pride? Well, very simply, pride is when we want to be the center of attention. That's what pride is. Right there in the middle of that five-letter word, P-R-I. D-E, right? I am right in the middle of pride, and I want to be the star of the show, the center of attention, and everybody focusing on me and about how great I am. Well, that's a deadly sin. And then the third sin kind of comes out of these first two. It is the sin of rebellion. And this is really at the heart of what we're thinking about tonight. What is rebellion? Rebellion is when we try to topple the authorities that are over us. That's rebellion. And so that is a very, very serious sin, and yet these three sins seem to go together. Now, before we get into our main scripture tonight, I want us to see some scriptures that tell us just how bad these three sins are. First of all, jealousy. Look at it, Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 4 from the New Living Translation. Anger is cruel, and wrath is like a flood. But jealousy is even more dangerous. Now, think about that. The Scripture is saying to us that jealousy is more dangerous than anger 
And it's more dangerous than wrath. Now, anger and wrath are pretty bad. Somebody lose their temper and do something they, or say something they should not do or say. And yet the Scripture says jealousy is even more dangerous than that. Why? Because ultimately, jealous, a jealous spirit will eat away at you from the inside out. And it will lead to acts of rebellion. Now let's think about pride. This is a more familiar verse to us from Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 18. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. And so the Bible says if we have a proud, haughty attitude, we can expect a fall in our life. We can expect destruction. God hates pride. The first sin that was ever committed was committed actually by an angel in heaven whose name was Lucifer. He had pride. He wanted to be like God. In Ezekiel 14, we read that Lucifer said, I will exalt myself. I will be like God is what he was saying. I will, I will, I will. Again, I is right in the middle of that. That sin got him kicked right out of heaven And he became the devil, and you know that story. But pride is a very terrible sin. And then tonight, we're thinking specifically about the sin of rebellion. In fact, the title of the message tonight in your little handout that you received is, Do You Have a Rebellious Spirit? Well, hopefully not, but maybe sometimes we all do. Look at this verse, 1 Samuel 15. These are the words of Samuel, the man of God, that he spoke to Saul, the king of Israel, at a time when Saul had disobeyed God and he was in trouble now for his sin. And here's what Samuel said to Saul. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Say that with me. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Does it say that rebellion is witchcraft? Witchcraft is divination, calling on, trying to get like satanic forces involved in this. It's a horrible thing. It's a, witchcraft is a, is a forbidden and a horrible sin. And yet the scripture here says rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness, maybe I should have called the sermon tonight, do you have a stubborn spirit? Now, most of us might would it confess to that more quickly than we would confess to having a rebellious spirit. But here's what it says about stubbornness. Stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Now, <laughs> idolatry is a serious sin, worshiping something other than God. Now, I don't think any of us here tonight would consider ourselves idolaters, and hopefully none of us are. We say, I would never worship anything other than God or anyone other than God. Well, good. But the Bible says stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. It's not the same, but it's, it's like it in that it is a, it is a serious offense in the eyes of God. And so a rebellious spirit, and one of the things that concerns me in the day in which we live is how many people have a rebellious spirit. And if we're not careful, we can develop a rebellious spirit. And if we think our cause is just and our side is right, then it is easy for us to develop this rebellious spirit. And we need to know that when we do that, we are committing a sin that God says, it reminds me a lot of witchcraft because it's, it's, it's motivated by the devil who motivates witchcraft. And then one other verse I want us to see, or two verses here out of Psalm 75, as we think about rebellion and pride and, and trying to topple the authorities and get to where we want to be, notice what the Scripture says. For exaltation comes neither from the east nor from the west nor from the south, but God is the judge. He puts down one 
and he exalts another. Here we're thinking, and it's going to become more obvious when we get into our scripture tonight while we're thinking about promotion. We see in this passage that God is the one who promotes. God puts people in positions of authority. Daniel 2.21 says that God removes kings and God puts kings in positions of authority. Many of us quote that verse after our favorite candidate got elected, right? We say, God put him there. And then the one we didn't vote for becomes a leader, and we don't like that verse. You don't hear any preachers quoting that verse then, because they only quote it when their candidate got elected. God put him there. But now, wait a second. God never would have put that person there. Well, Daniel 2.21, God removes kings. God establishes kings. Don't always understand uh, why these things are happening. Many times, it's not so much that that's God's preference. It's that God allows that to happen in a society or in a government or in a nation. But the point that I want us to see tonight, because see, a re, a, just, and just keep that verse on the wall for just a second. A rebellious spirit, a prideful spirit, a, a, a jealous spirit is always wanting to exalt itself. That's what the devil was, that's what Lucifer was doing and he became the devil. But it's always wanting to exalt itself. And there's something about human nature that, that, that we want to assert ourselves and we want to assert our cause, and, and, but more than our cause, we want to assert ourselves. But notice what it says. Exaltation comes neither from, now look at these three directions mentioned here. Doesn't come from the east, doesn't come from the west, doesn't come from the south. Now you tell me, which, which, what is the only other direction that there is? The north. And the scripture says that God lives in the north, Right? You know, we say God lives up. Well, that doesn't work so well if you're preaching in Australia tonight. Up's not always up and down's not always down, but north is always north. And the Bible says God lives in the north. So exaltation doesn't come from the east or the west. And yet, how many times in life are people trying to, you even see this in the ministry. Many times you see pastors who are unhappy in their church and they want to leave their church and go to another church. And so, and, I, and I'm not saying that, I mean, I, I personally think it's horrible, but I'm not saying in every case, I'm not saying that God would never use it or bless it, because I think some, you know, God, remember this, God understands that all of us are sinful, fallen creatures, and even when we do things that are wrong, God is very gracious, let me just say it that way, and God is very accommodative. He doesn't ever approve sin, but many times he just... He's just very gracious with us. And many times, even in, in the ministry, you'll see a pastor get a resume and mail it to his friend and ask his friend to recommend him to a church. Well, I'm not saying God can't work in that way. God can do whatever he wants to do. But think about what's really happening there. Here's a pastor. He's unhappy where he is. He wants to leave, but he can't go anywhere. doesn't have any opportunities. And so he gives a resume to a friend and asks the friend to give that to the church. What's that pastor looking for? If you really break that down, he's looking for promotion, but he's looking east and west and south, and he's not looking north. And what that man ought to do is say, God, you know, I think I'd like to leave. And God might say, yeah, but I want you to stay. Or God might say, it's time for you to leave. And he'll open the door for him to go somewhere else. But the point is, even in the ministry, many times ministers don't look north. They look east and west. They look left and right. They pull a string here, and they know a person there, and they're trying to exalt themselves 
instead of letting God exalt them. Look at, look at what it says. God is the judge. He puts down one and he exalts another. Now, if you'll open your Bibles tonight to Numbers chapter 16. This is going to be an interesting sermon tonight in that we're looking at a tremendous amount of Scripture. And we're looking at a passage of Scripture tonight that is seldom ever dealt with. I've never preached a sermon on this, to my knowledge. I may have referenced it, never have done a whole Bible study or sermon on it. And in fact, I can't remember ever hearing about this. But it is an interesting passage. In Numbers chapter 16, as we know from our Wednesday night study here, the children of Israel are in the wilderness on their way to the promised land, but it is taking longer than it should have because of their disobedience and their rebellion. And in Numbers chapter 16, notice what it says. Now Korah, and it gives the name of his father and grandfather and, and, and way on up to Levi, with Dathan and Abiram. So you have these three men, Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And it says in verse 2, they rose up before Moses with some of the children of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, representatives of the congregation, men of renown. And so these three men, Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, say that with me, Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, they get these 250 people of the children of Israel, and they are rebelling now against Moses. They gathered together, verse 3, against Moses and Aaron and said to them, you take too much upon yourselves. Literally, that means you assume too much for yourself. They weren't saying, hey, Moses, you're doing too much. You're going to burn out. No, no, they weren't trying to help Moses in that respect. What they were saying is, Moses, who gave you all this authority? Who do you think you are? You think God doesn't speak to us? He only speaks to you? You're assuming too much for yourself. For all the congregation is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves, talking now about Moses and Aaron, above the assembly of the Lord? And so these three men go to Moses and Aaron, and here's their question. Why do you exalt yourself? Who do you think you are? And Moses is listening to this, and Moses is thinking to himself, exalt myself. I didn't even want this job. I asked God not to. I don't want to do this. And finally, after many conversations with God, he allowed my brother Aaron to be the spokesperson. You're talking about exalting myself. I wanted nothing to do with this whole mission. So in verse 4, when Moses heard it, he fell on his face. Here's Moses, the the humility of Moses, and he's turning to God. And then he spoke to Korah and all of his company, saying, Tomorrow morning the Lord will show you who is his and who is holy and will cause him to come near to him, that the one whom he chooses he will cause to come near to him. And then he gives this advice this instruction now to these guys. Do this. Take censers, Korah, and all of your company. Censers, something you could light uh, a flame with, like in burnt incense with. Put fire in them. Put incense in them before the Lord tomorrow. And it shall be that the man whom the Lord chooses is the Holy One. And then he says, you take too much upon yourselves, you sons of Levi. So Moses gives it back just as well as he took it. He said, who do you think you are? You're assuming too much for yourself. And then Moses said to Korah, hear now, you sons of Levi, is it a small thing to you 
that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself to do the work of the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to serve them? See, the Korah was a descendant of Levi. And as a descendant of Levi, he had responsibilities in the tabernacle. Holy responsibilities. And Moses says, do you think this is a little thing that God has assigned you to do? And yet in verse 10 he says, and that he has brought you near to himself, you and all your brethren, the sons of Levi with you, and are you seeking the priesthood also? Moses was saying, God has given you a tremendous responsibility in your life, a tremendous opportunity to make a difference for God and for good. And yet you're not satisfied with what God's assigned you. And you want what you think is a grander job or a more important position. And so in verse 11, therefore you and all your company are gathered together against the Lord. And what is Aaron that you complain against him? What's Aaron done to you, Moses said. And Moses sent to call Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab. But they said, we will not come up. They didn't want to even come stand before Moses. They had already written him off and they had rebelled against him. Is it a small thing that, here's what they said, Dathan and Abiram. Is it a small thing that you have brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey? Now, think about this. Dathan and Abiram are referring to Egypt as the land flowing with milk and honey. Well, nobody else ever said that about Egypt. That was the description of the promised land. And so now they're saying, you brought us up out of the land of milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness that you should keep acting like a prince over us. Who do you think you are, Moses? You're no better than I am, is what they were saying. Moreover, you have not brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey, that is the promised land, nor given us inheritance of fields and vineyards. Will you put out the eyes of these men? We will not come up. They said, Moses, enough of you. You've been acting like you're something all along, telling us what to do, telling us to follow you, telling us God told you this, that, and the other, and we've had enough of it, and we're not following you anymore. You've given us a command to appear before you. No, we're not going to do it. Rebellion. But where did the rebellion come from? Jealousy. They were jealous of Moses' position. Pride. They thought they could do it better than he did. And here it is now, all-out rebellion. Verse 15, then Moses was very angry. And said to the Lord, do not respect their offering. I have not taken one donkey from them, nor have I hurt one of them. And Moses said to Korah, tomorrow you and all your company be present before the Lord, you and they as well as Aaron. Let each take his censer and put incense in it, and each of you bring his censer before the Lord. 250 censers, all of you now who have rebelled, 250, both you and Aaron, each with his censer. So every man took his censer, put fire in it, laid incense on it, and stood at the door of the tabernacle of meeting with Moses and Aaron. And Korah gathered together all the congregation against them, that is, against Moses and Aaron, at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation. And now, so these three men, and there's 250 of them total, and the Korah, Dathan, and Abiram have got their followers now, and they're going to overthrow the leadership of Moses and Aaron there right before the tabernacle. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, separate yourselves from among this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. God was so fed up with this. Remember, rebellion is as, is as the sin of witchcraft. 
Stubbornness is like idolatry. God had had enough. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces and said, O God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin and you be angry with all the congregation? In other words, God, just because this sin began in the heart of Korah, who wants to take, take us down, as it were, and got Dathan and Abiram, and now there's 250, are you going to wipe out, you know, two million people in the desert because of them? So the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the congregation, saying, get away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Now, before we read on, let me say this. Here's a good lesson for us. I didn't put this in the outline tonight when we get to the main points in just a moment, but I should have. I just didn't think to do it. Not only should we not be jealous, proud, and rebellious, we shouldn't get too close to anybody who is. Because if we do, there's a chance that when they go down, we'll go down with them. And that's what God said to Moses. He said, Moses, speak to the congregation. You tell them, get away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Then Moses rose and went to Dathan and Abiram. And the elders of Israel followed him. And he spoke to the congregation saying, depart now from the tents of these wicked men. Touch nothing of theirs, lest you be consumed in all their sins. So they got away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And Dathan and Abiram came out and stood at the door of their tents with their wives, their sons, and their little ones. We, we should say their poor wives, their poor sons, and their poor little ones. Because they're affiliated with the wrong, it's a sad situation here. And Moses said, by this you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works. For I have not done them of my own will. Again, Moses saying, I didn't sign up for this job. I didn't ask for this job. God gave me this assignment. And here's what Moses said. If these men die naturally like all men, or if they are visited by the common fate of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. In other words, if they die of an illness, people get cancer or other disease. If they die of old age, you know what? They die like everybody else dies. And then God, Moses said, God hasn't even sent me. Verse 30, but if the Lord creates a new thing and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them up, with all that belongs to them, and they go down alive into the pit, then you will understand that these men have rejected the Lord. Moses is saying, if God comes up with something new and opens up the earth, and they go down alive into the pit, you're going to know that they were rebelling, and they've not rejected me They've rejected God because remember Moses said, I didn't ask for this job. God gave it to me. God called me to do it. Now it came to pass as he finished speaking all these words that the ground split apart under them and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and with all the men, with Korah and with all their goods. So they and all those with them went down alive into the pit the earth closed over them, and they perished from among the assembly. Here's what I get out of this. Don't mess with Moses, right? Well, the fact is, don't mess with God. 
because God had appointed Moses and they rebelled against Moses and God took up, God, God defended his servant. Verse 34, then all Israel who were around them fled at their cry for they said, lest the earth swallow us up also. Now everybody's scared. And a fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering incense. And so these 250 who had followed along, Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, now they're consumed uh, by the fire. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, tell Eazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, to pick up the censers out of the blaze, for they are holy and scatter the fire some distance away. The censers of these men who sinned against their, their own souls, let them be made into hammered plates as a covering for the altar, because they presented them before the Lord. Therefore, they are holy, and they shall be a sign to the children of Israel. So Eleazar the priest took the bronze censers, which those who were burned up had presented, and they were hammered out as a covering on the altar to be a memorial or a reminder to the children of Israel that no outsider who is not a descendant of Aaron, should come near to offer incense before the Lord, that he might not become like Korah and his companions, just as the Lord had said to him through Moses. The reason I wanted to read all that is because God said it better than I could tell it. And to feel what happened on this occasion when Korah, Dathan, and Abiram decided to gather up their buddies, to gather up their friends, overthrow Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, and they were going to become the leaders. Let's put this verse back on the screen in Psalm 75, if we can, verses 6 and 7. For exaltation comes neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south, but God is the judge. He puts down one. In this case, he put down three and, and their families and the 250 who were following, he puts down one and he exalts another. Now, let's go to verse to chapter 17. This is not as extensive of a passage. But in chapter 17, in chapter 16, we just saw how God put down Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Now, in chapter 17, we're going to see how God exalts Aaron. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, this is chapter 17, verse 2 now, speak to the children of Israel and get from them a rod from each father's house and all their leaders according to their father's houses, 12 rods. So you've got the 12 tribes of Israel, get the leader from each tribe, each one has a rod, write each man's name on his rod, and you shall write Aaron's name on the rod of Levi. For there shall be one rod for the head of each father's house. Then you shall place them in the tabernacle of meeting before the testimony where I meet with you. And it shall be that the rod of the man whom I choose. See, it's not me or you saying, God, I want to do ABC. No, that's not how we don't exalt ourselves. We humble ourselves. And God said, it shall be that the rod of the man whom I choose will blossom. Thus I will rid myself of the complaints of the children of Israel, which they make against you. So Moses spoke to the children of Israel, and each of their leaders gave him a rod apiece. For each leader, according to their father's houses, 12 rods. 
And the rod of Aaron was among their rods. And Moses placed the rods before the Lord in the tabernacle of witness. Now it came to pass on the next day that Moses went into the tabernacle of witness. And behold, the rod of Aaron of the house of Levi had sprouted and put forth buds, had produced blossoms, and yielded ripe almonds. Then Moses brought out all the rods from before the Lord to all the children of Israel. And they looked. And each man took his rod. And the Lord said to Moses, Bring Aaron's rod back before the testimony to be kept as a sign against the rebels that you may put their complaints away from me lest they die. Thus Moses did, just as the Lord had commanded, so he did. So the children of Israel spoke to Moses, saying, Surely we perish, we perish, we all perish. Whoever even comes near the tabernacle of the Lord must die. Shall we all utterly die? And so after these two experiences happen, Korah and his crew, the earth has swallowed them up. The followers of them have been burned with the fire. And now Aaron has been validated by God because his rod began to bud, to sprout, to grow, and it's bringing forth uh, Fruit, almonds there on that tree. Again, I want you to see the verse in Psalm 75. This is extremely important that we look at this verse one more time. For exaltation, you want a promotion at work? You want a raise? You want a new job? You want to be somebody? Well, exaltation comes neither from the east nor the west or the south. Doesn't come from your buddies, your friends, your co-workers, your contacts. No, no, no. And it doesn't come from the south. It comes from the north. But God is the judge. He puts down one and he exalts another. Now, you're still listening. Say amen after all that. Lots of scripture. And that's what makes this Bible study so good tonight is it's just the Bible. Now, as I've thought about what we've looked at, I want to mention three points of application that I think we can take with us tonight from this amazing account in Scripture of how God destroyed those who were filled with jealousy, pride, and rebellion, and God exalted those, Moses and Aaron, who were filled with humility and total dependence upon God. So here are the takeaway lessons tonight. Number one, be content with where you are in life. As we probably, as our, my mother used to say to me growing up, bloom where you're planted. Now, she didn't make that up, but it's good advice. And maybe somebody told you something similar. Bloom where you're planted. Jealousy, you want what somebody else has. Well, you're not going to be content like that. So if Korah and Dathan and Abiram could have just taken away this point here to be content, they were descendants of Levi. They had work to do in the tabernacle, but they weren't content they wanted Moses' job. So that's the first thing we can learn. Be content with where you are in life. Number two, be submissive to those in positions of authority over you. Now watch this. There is a caveat there. Unless they're requiring you to sin. Be submissive. Submissiveness is the opposite of rebellion. And submissiveness is commanded in Scripture. Now, when we hear the word submissive, we think about wives submitting to husbands in Ephesians 5. But remember, in that same passage, it talks about submitting to one another. Now, that passage is talking about the husband is the, the leader and, and so on. But even in that passage, it's talking about mutual submission. And, um, and so what I'm saying here, instead of being rebellious, we should be submissive to those in positions of authority over us 
unless they are requiring us to sin. And if they're requiring us to sin, we have to draw a line. If the governing authorities say it is no longer legal to preach about the name of Jesus, well, I would have to draw a line right there and say, now you're asking me to sin. In Acts chapter 5, in verse 29, when Peter and John were in trouble with the authorities of their day, and they were told to preach no more in the name of Jesus, Peter and John said, we must obey God rather than man. They drew a line right there. But many people, many times people are drawing lines that are premature. They're wrong lines. We should be submissive to those in positions of authority over us unless they're requiring us to sin. Submissiveness. Not if we have to sin, not compromising our convictions, but submissiveness, not rebelliousness. I was reading last night. I can't remember who I was reading, but somebody made the statement, or maybe I heard it on the radio, but somebody made the statement that, oh, it was David Jeremiah on a radio sermon. He said, in the day in which Jesus and the disciples lived, they were under the Roman government. And the Roman government was far more corrupt than, than we can imagine. The things that they were doing, they were killing Christians. They were martyring Christians. They were beheading Christians. They were burning Christians at the stake. The Roman government was corrupt. And yet David Jeremiah made this point, and you do not hear this point preached very often. And when he said it, I said, preach on, man. I'm with you. You're right. You're calling it straight, even if it's not the message of our day. He said this, Jesus, now I'm paraphrasing, but he said it this way. He said, Jesus never told his disciples to overthrow the Roman government. And they were corrupt. Why didn't Jesus tell his disciples to overthrow the Roman government? Listen very carefully to this. Because Jesus did not come to overthrow governments. Jesus came to change human hearts. And yet in our day and time, many Christians have the idea if we could change the government, and I'm not saying that the government doesn't have a lot that doesn't need to be changed. I get that. But if we develop an attitude that says, if we can just change the government, then we'll save America. Listen, friend, the government can't save America. Only Jesus can save America. And how does Jesus save America? By saving Americans. What is America? Well, it's a country. In some ways, America is an idea. I heard Don Piper say that many years ago. I thought it was insight. He said that at a Tuesday Bible lunch. It stood with me. America is an idea. You ask somebody what they think of America is, they'll tell you. You ask somebody else what they think, and it's totally two totally different things. But really, at its essence, what is America? America is a country made up of Americans, made up of people, and made up of people who are not even Americans. But, but it's, just, it's people, and God wants to save the people in the country. And so what do we do? We, we try to be submissive as much as possible. If they pass a law that says wear a seatbelt. I remember when I first started driving or maybe right before I started, you didn't have, the seatbelt law hadn't been passed. They made a law that says you got to wear a seatbelt. Well, you wear a seatbelt. I mean, it's a law. That's what I'm, when I say submit. You see, you're not having to compromise your Christian convictions to put on a seatbelt. That, that, that's, for anybody to rebel against that and say, well, nobody's going to tell me what to do. Well, I'm saying 
And who cares who John is? John is here today, gone tomorrow. I'm, I'm, I'm one of millions of preachers who have lived, and this is my time here on earth, and one day I'll be taken to heaven and somebody else will be preaching. So who cares what I say? But you, we should all care what God says. If somebody says, I'm not wearing a seatbelt because nobody's going to tell me what to do, God says that attitude is rebelliousness, and it is as the sin of witchcraft. There's zero on wearing seatbelts that has to do with our commitment to Jesus Christ. And I just use that example tonight because I think everybody here wears a seatbelt. And if you don't, when you, you're going to wear one tonight. I feel confident about that. And you get home and somebody says, what was the sermon about tonight? John said we should wear seatbelts. Well, they're going to say, well, he just didn't study, if that's all up he's up there saying tonight. So be submissive. And, and I think this is a big deal. It's a big deal to me because I was raised with a, I was raised to have respect for authority figures. My parents, my teachers, my coaches, my principal, the police, anybody who's in a position of authority. You say, yeah, but they're not always right. No, they're not, but they're in authority. And unless they're telling us to do something that would cause us to sin, we should submit to their authority. And then number three, let God put you and others where he wants you to be and accept his decisions. Hey, if God gives some Moses in your life more responsibility than he gave you, don't be jealous of Moses. Pray for Moses. If you're a minister and God gives somebody else a bigger church, don't be jealous. Be thankful for the church you're at or for the position that you have. Let God put you and others where he wants you to be and accept his decisions. One of the things I pray, I try to pray it six days a week. Some days I miss it. One of the things I pray is, God, I pray that in my life, and I pray this for me and my family, there'll be no sin, no doubt, no worry. Now, you heard me on Sunday. I haven't gotten to that one fully answered yet because I still worry sometimes. No bitterness, grudges, or bad feelings towards anybody. And no jealousy. I say, God, help me to rejoice over other people's blessings. What did I say at the beginning tonight? There are three deadly sins. We don't think of them as deadly. We think of adultery and murder and theft and tax evasion. Those are the deadly sins. And those are deadly, all right. But I'm telling you this. Jealousy, pride, and rebelliousness are just as, de are just as deadly. And so we look at that. Jealousy pride and rebelliousness, if we say, well, I don't want that, all right, then we have to have the opposite. What's the opposite of jealousy? We rejoice over other people's positions, other people's blessings. We learn to rejoice. Thank God for what they have. What's the opposite of pride? Humility. What's the opposite of rebelliousness? Submissiveness. And we say, God, be gentle with me, but bring me to a place in life where I can rejoice over other people's blessings, where I walk in humility and not pride. And where I am submissive to those who are over me, unless they're asking me to sin, then I'll draw the line. But unless it's that, help me to have a submissive spirit because I don't want to be rebellious and do something that would be just as bad in your eyes as witchcraft. Amen? Father, I thank you for Moses and Aaron. There they were out there in the desert, and there was a coup, and yet, Lord, you put the coup down. And you caused Aaron's rod to blossom.
Father, help us to remember that in all of our lives, exaltation, promotion, better jobs, that doesn't come from the east or the west or the south. That only comes from the north. That only comes from above. That only comes from you. And God, help us to live lives free of jealousy, pride, and rebellion. Now, with your head bowed and eyes closed tonight, man, that's a lot of material, and that's, a, that's just covering a lot of different Bible tonight. But with your head bowed and eyes closed, I don't think you could hear that much Bible without something speaking to you, without the Holy Spirit taking some of what we've talked about for the last half hour and applying that to your heart. And so... Would you just do business with God there in your, in your pew tonight, in your seat tonight, about whatever that might be? Some tonight might say, John, I need to be saved. As I look at the pride in my life and the rebelliousness, and do I have a rebellious spirit? Absolutely. And the reason is because I don't have the Holy Spirit helping me to submit and to be humble. And so maybe tonight... There's some here who need to be saved. You can be saved. Would you pray this prayer? Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive my sins. Make me a Christian. Give me a new heart. A submissive spirit. A humble attitude. Free from all those negative things and full of all those good things that you want me to have. Welcome to my heart, Lord. I trust you to save me. In Christ's name I pray. And all the people said.